nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Do you mean that when you say it? Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. When you think of joy, what comes to mind? Does this? Some of y'all probably did this this summer. Vacation on the beach. How about this? Jackpot. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I bet there's uh, none of us that have experienced that in here, have we? Um, or how about even this? But what about this? Anybody relate with this guy? I've got a few mints in there. That's about it. It's my pocket. What about this? Or even this? Many of us, when we think about joy, we think about it as being the absence of pain or the opposite of pain, don't we? There's a 70s song called Joy and Pain. And the lyrics go, Joy and pain are like sunshine and what? And the rain. And many think of joy in this way, that it's the, the absence of pain or the opposite of pain. And they feel so strongly about this that they, they want to try and avoid pain at all costs because they think if they can do that, then they'll be happy in life. I'm going to tell a story on myself because I knew if I didn't tell it, Leslie would probably tell it about me to somebody, so I'm going to beat her to the punch. I'm what some may call a worst-case scenario kind of guy. You know what I mean when I say that? I'm, I'm constantly, I guess I'm just a, I should have been an inspector or something, you know, because I'm always playing things over in my mind, bad things happening, and trying to make changes accordingly to avoid that from happening. And I, especially with our daughters at home, for example, Edie is just starting to crawl, and I was, walking the, I was walking in the living room, through the living room the other day, and I noticed a cord hanging down from the lamp. And immediately I was playing in my mind, Edie crawling over, pulling the cord, the lamp coming down on top of her and hurting her, so I removed the lamp and put a stand-up lamp there. And I know what you're thinking, that's very strange, but I'm just kind of letting you in. And... Um, I do this a lot. I'm always playing these things over in my head. But you know what the truth of the matter is? No matter how hard I try to remove danger from my children, I cannot make them completely 100% safe, can I? Because even though we think it's in our grasp, there's a lot of uncertainty in life when it comes to safety and security, isn't there? In fact, Two of Ava's biggest accidents so far in her short little life have happened on my watch. So imagine that. Not doing a very good job. I didn't play those over in my mind before they happened. Uh, I was reading an article recently. This is an older article from the Gospel Herald, which I'm sure these percentages have changed, but the idea and the point is still the same. It reads, You may feel pretty safe and secure just sitting there reading this, don't kid yourself. Last year, 29,000 Americans died from accidents in their own home. 
Of all accidents, 17% occur in the home. Should you run out and jump into your car? 20% of accidents involve automobiles. How about going for a walk? Well, if you go for a walk, you have a chance of being of the 14% of accidents that involve pedestrians. How about sports or other recreational activities? They're responsible for 20% of all accidents. So he ends by saying the safest plan may be not to go anywhere or do anything because the other 29% of accidents are miscellaneous. The basic point of this article is to just show that safety and security are far from certain in this life, aren't they? John Piper said in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, all of our plans for tomorrow's activities can be shattered by a thousand unknowns, whether we stay at home, under the covers, or ride the freeways. Now, I don't want to say this this morning to be a downer, to scare you, or to have you live in fear, but I just want you to know that if joy is contingent upon the absence of pain, then it's very uncertain in this life whether or not we can remain joyful. The truth of the matter is, life is not a bed of roses, is it? And we're not promised that in Scripture. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. In this world, you say you might have? No, you will have tribulation. But then he gives a word of hope, doesn't he? He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 20 through 26 this morning. We're continuing our series on joy from Philippians. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how to experience joy no matter what. Last week, we talked about Paul's wonderful perspective while he's in, in prison, uncertain about whether or not he's going to live or die. And, and we talked about the fact that even though this is the case, even though there was uncertainty in Paul's life, he saw the God side of a difficult circumstance. He was faithful in uncertain times, saw God's glory in every situation, and we talked about how he benefited from the prayers of God's people and the provision of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to continue with Paul's perspective, and we're going to look at one of the great confessions of faith made by the apostle. And uh, we're going to discuss also how we too like Paul, can come to find and experience joy no matter what. So let's get into it. How to experience joy no matter what. First, be purposeful no matter what. Be purposeful no matter what. No matter what happens. Verse 20, Paul says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but, with, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in these verses here, Paul shows that no matter what happens, he never loses the sense of purpose 
that he has. He says whether he regains his freedom or whether he loses his life, his purpose is the same and it's centered on Christ and him being honored. It's interesting to see here that Paul's verdict is kind of secondary to Paul, isn't it? What he's concerned about is the testimony that he's going to leave behind. I love the movie Braveheart. It's a story about William Wallace, man's man, who is on a quest to make Scotland free once and for all from English rule. And toward the end of the movie, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody, um, but he gets betrayed by someone he trusts. And he's, on, and, and he's in jail and he's facing certain death, but that's not what concerns Wallace, is it? His only concern is about dying well. His only concern is about not undoing all he has done for his country. He is just concerned about the testimony he will leave behind. Either way, he's a man on a mission. His purpose is not disrupted by the verdict. Because his, his purpose is not centered on his own happiness, but on the freedom of his countrymen. And that's Paul's perspective, isn't it? He says, Lord, if I, if I live, help me to live well and to honor Christ. If I die, help me to die well and honor Christ. The verdict for Paul is a win-win. He says to live is Christ. Meaning Paul's life is wrapped up in his Lord and Savior. His whole purpose in life was to speak out boldly for Christ, to bring people to Christ, and to be made more like Christ. His life is wrapped up in his Lord and Savior. And he also says, to die is gain. Death, for Paul, meant the end of trials in this life and the beginning of a new life in the presence of his Lord. So it's a win-win for Paul. Oftentimes, I think we don't experience joy in this life because of the fact that, that our purpose in life centers on our own happiness. My daughter's there. She's three years old, Ava, and uh, this is her perspective in life. Her happiness right now is, is wrapped up in, her, in herself. And if things go good for Ava then she's good. Things go bad, she falls into the floor. You give her a sucker, everything's right in the world again. And this is, this is her perspective. Now, now hopefully, through training and, and instruction, she'll eventually grow out of that, but many people don't, do they? Some people still have this kind of mentality, and I think it's the reason why uh, many don't have joy. Because their purpose in life centers on their own happiness. They're just wanting their sucker so that everything's right in the world again. And if we're honest, I think we as believers oftentimes, we feel this way, don't we? I mean, if I went around the room and talked to you as believers and said, do you want Christ to be honored in your life? You'd say, yeah. Yeah, I want Christ honored. But just as long as it doesn't uh, affect my happiness too much. You may not say that, but you'd be thinking that, right? Christ be honored, but let me keep my, my health and wealth intact. Let's be honest. We, we would agree that it's, it's good 
for Christ to be honored in our life no matter what, but we're very hesitant. We're, we, we, we want Christ to be honored, let's say that, but we're very hesitant about saying, Christ, be honored no matter what. We want Him to be honored, but on our terms. Once again, I'm picking on my oldest daughter. I'm going to have to go get her something today because I'm picking on her in service. But sometimes at night I'll go to Ava. It, this happened last night. It happens every night pretty much. Uh, she knows me. Um, but I go to her and I say, Ava, it's time for bed. And she looks up and she says, let me watch my movie first. She's talking about her movie. Movie is movie. And, and basically what, she tell, what she's telling me is this. I will follow you, but on my terms. And sometimes I give in. It's on her terms. I know it's not a good thing. But, but we do that, don't we? We say, we say, Christ, we want you to be honored, but we want it to be on our terms. We say, thy will be done if it's my will. If your will lines up with my will, I'm good with it. But what does Paul say? Christ, be honored no matter what happens. And here's the reason why Paul could have this mentality because he held loosely to the things of this world. His purpose was not centered on his own happiness, but it was centered on Christ. And let me tell you something. This is a difficult perspective to have, isn't it? Let's just call a spade a spade. Being Christ-centered is difficult, but let me ask you this question. What's the alternative? Because it doesn't matter how tightly we hold on to the things of this world, they're temporary, right? If your happiness is, is based upon the things of this world, you're eventually going to be without happiness. Because these things are temporary. 1 John 2.17 The world is passing away. That says it pretty clearly right there, doesn't it? Along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. The appearance of permanence is deceptive. The world is not an endless cycle, but it's speeding toward a conclusion willed by God. Therefore, we, like Paul, this is what we need to do. We need to just loosen our grip on the things of this world and cling to Christ who is permanent. Augustine, who is early church father, one of my heroes in the faith, in a sermon on this text in 1 John, this is what he wrote. Hold fast to Christ. For you he became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. So be purposeful no matter what happens. Number two, second way to experience joy is to be hopeful no matter what happens. The way to experience joy no matter what is be hopeful no matter what. Verses 22 through 24, Paul says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So, so Paul here is he's, he's struggling 
with the outcome a little bit, what he should desire more. Even though the outcome's out of his hand, he's struggling with what he should desire more. And he knew that if he continues to live in this life, that meant fruitful labor for Paul. And what fruitful labor for Paul looked like is further missionary travels, more churches planted, more converts, more strengthening of fellow believers, and more opportunities to serve Christ. But then Paul says to die meant to be in the presence of Christ, which Paul, which Paul thought was, was far better. So here, Paul kind of lets us in on his personal desire. His greater personal desire was to be in the presence of the Lord. But no matter what happens, we see here that Paul is hopeful because he knows if God decides that he stays... Even though that's not his greater personal desire, Paul's going to continue on and knows and is hopeful that there's going to be fruitful ministry in it. Let me ask you a question. When things don't go according to your plan, how do you respond? When you've got your plan just set out of of the things you want to see happen and it doesn't happen, how do you respond? Are you hopeful no matter what? Especially when difficult times come. When difficulty comes, how do you respond? Are you hopeful no matter what? When trouble comes and when our plans get disrupted, I think we often respond in, in, in one, of, one of three ways. First way people respond is that they're not hopeful at all. This stinks. I can't see any good in it, God. What, what are you doing to me? How can this be happening? And so there's, a, there's an honest response, but it's without hope. And we, we, we even question God's work in it and His purposes in it. The second way people respond is by being overly hopeful. And what I mean by that is they think it's wrong to or sinful to even be, you know, honest about the way they're feeling, so they put forth this kind of false piety, this kind of like, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm suffering. This is great. Bring it on. I want to do this for you, God. You ever you ever met anybody like that? The third way people respond, I believe this is the right way to respond when bad times come, is that there are those who are honest about their circumstances but they trust God regardless. I think that's the proper way to respond. You're honest with your circumstances, but yet you're hopeful and you trust in God. Because the reason why I think that's right is because it's a a good blend of honesty and good theology. We need to be honest, but we need to couple that honesty with good theology. When things don't go according to your plan, listen, it's It's okay to be honest with God. Let's say you lose a job that you planned your life around. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to feel feel frustrated. Let's say you lose a, a loved one you planned on spending the rest of your life with. It's okay to miss them terribly. It's okay to feel incomplete without them. When Lazarus died, what did Christ do? He wept. It's okay 
to be honest with God. I met a woman recently in uh, Fort Smith at the grocery store, and uh, she had been recently diagnosed with cancer, and I just talked to her for a little bit and just told her that I was just terribly sorry for the fact that she was suffering so much. And she responded in this way, don't, don't feel sorry for me, you know? This is great that this is happening. You know, I praise God in it. I'm, I'm going to be made more like Him, and, and, and I don't, you know, I, I welcome it. I'm glad it happened. Well, I don't want to make little of her perspective, and I'm not trying to do that here, because she is trying to see the purpose of, of God, the purposes of God in and through this. But listen, let's be honest. Cancer is terrible. It stinks. It's a result of the fall. It's not the way God intended things to be. So be honest. But don't stay there. Couple that honesty with good theology. Say this, God, this circumstance, it stinks. It's a result of the fall. I don't like it, but I trust you. Say, I don't, I don't understand the reason why things are going in this way, but, I, but I'm hopeful you are good and you're in control. You're on the throne. Brett read this morning from Psalm 13, and I think it's a great verse for us to, to see how to properly respond when, when difficulty comes. We see David here in verse 13, in, in chapter 13 of Psalms. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? Where are you, God? Have you forgotten about me? That's honest. We felt that way, haven't we? Haven't we felt that way before? But notice David doesn't stay there toward the end of the psalm. I love this. Verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He was hopeful no matter what. And we should be hopeful no matter what. So be purposeful no matter what happens. And that purpose should center on Christ. And be hopeful no matter what happens because God is good and He's in control even though our circumstances are difficult. And third and finally, the way we experience joy no matter what is to be faithful no matter what happens. Be faithful no matter what happens. Paul says this in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So it seems as if in this passage here that, that Paul comes to terms with the fact that he's probably going to stay around. He's probably going to continue on in his earthly ministry. And although we learned in the previous verse that Paul was ready, he was prepared to depart and be with the Lord, notice here that he willingly puts this personal desire on hold and he continues to faithfully follow the Lord no matter what. And notice this. This is an important part here. I want you to get from this passage of Scripture. Notice that Paul doesn't only do this, but he sees the spiritual benefit in the alternative. Paul sees the spiritual benefit in God's decision, although he has a greater desire to depart and be with the Lord. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul is confident that through his continued faithfulness, God will grow the Christians at Philippi. You know, last week we talked about how oftentimes when difficult circumstances come, our faithfulness gets put on hold, doesn't it? And the reason why I think this happens is because of the fact that we fail to see the spiritual benefit and the alternative. Does that make sense? When difficult times come, many times we just say, really, God, this? What good can come from this? How many of you are uh, familiar with uh, Johnny Erickson Tata? Any, any in here that know about her? Johnny was, uh, as a young girl, she was paralyzed in a swimming accident. And since that time, she has devoted her life to ministry. And she has touched the lives of many, both disabled and, and not. And recently I read a book which was based upon a Desiring God conference on suffering and the sovereignty of God. And, and one of the chapters is, is her speaking on her experiences. And I want to share with you this quote because this is just an incredible quote about her seeing the spiritual benefit in this tragic circumstance. And, and, and the reason why I share this with you is because I'm sure there were many at that time when it happened to her being like, why, God? Why? This young girl has been paralyzed. Why has this happened? Listen to what she says. This is an a, a abbreviated part of this quote. I'll read the longer quote here. She said, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding His nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And He'll know what I mean when I say it because He knows me. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And that would have never happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. Wow. I think one of the greatest, one of the greatest successes in Joni's life has been the fact that she has found spiritual benefit in that wheelchair. And there are many more examples of this. I know there are many in this room who have been through the darkest of storms and like Joni and like Johnny have been have been faithful to God no matter what. But of all these examples there is no example greater than that of our Lord. Although Christ knew the horror of the cross, he also knew the spiritual benefit of the cross, didn't he? And he went Willingly. Now, there were some who failed to see it. There are some who failed to see the spiritual benefit of the cross, Peter in particular. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus is talking about all these things that are going to happen to him, and in verse 22, listen to what Peter says. Peter took him aside. I love that. 
began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So, so picture this, you know, Jesus is talking about these things that are going to happen to him, and after he's finished, Peter's like, Hey, Jesus, come here. Yeah. I think you need to tone down all this talk about you dying, you know? Surely that's not going to happen. How could that be good for anybody? And when Christ was arrested, what does Peter do? He cuts off Malchus's ear, trying to resist Christ being arrested because Peter saw no benefit in a crucified Messiah, did he? And when Christ died, what did his followers do? They were devastated. They didn't know what to do next because they saw no benefit in a crucified Messiah. But was there? You bet there was. The day Christ died was the darkest day in human history. The purest of all ever to live was betrayed, tried, denied, mocked, and hung between thieves on a shameful cross. And right after Christ died, it seemed as if all hope was lost. It seemed as if God had failed. But this is the great part about it. In the midst of of that moment that seemed like God was, it was, things were outside of God's control. What we learn is God is very much in control, isn't he? I love the hymn, Low in the Grave He Lay, because it captures this. The darkest moment in history, and God shows he's in the midst of it. He's been there the whole time, and he is working for his purposes in these tragic circumstances. Listen to the lyrics. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting for the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watched his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they sealed the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Isn't it ironic that Peter saw no spiritual benefit in the cross, but the cross ends up being the most important and spiritually beneficial accomplishment in all of human history? Through the cross, the impossible is made possible. We're made right with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And trust me when I say this. If God was at work in the darkest moment in all of human history, and if there is spiritual benefit in the cross, then God's at work in your darkest moment personally. And there is spiritual benefit in that. We're going to do something unique this morning. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond uh, to the message this morning right there where you are. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've been something through something recently that's been really tragic in your life, financially, physically, or emotionally. Or maybe you're, you're currently just in a dark time in your life spiritually, and you're hurting spiritually because you have, you have questioned God or blamed God for it. I want to give you an opportunity, if you feel led this morning, to just spend time and, and do 
business with God. Just pour out your heart to Him this morning. And be honest with Him. I'm going through this time, I'm in a dark place spiritually, and and it stinks, God. Just pour your heart out to Him, be honest with Him, but I also want to challenge you to do this as well. I want you to end by expressing your trust in Him no matter what. I want you to understand that God works in these kind of situations where it seems as if God is is not in control and absent. That's the time He's very much in control. And there is spiritual benefit in the place where you are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You that in You we can experience joy no matter what happens. Father, forgive us for being self-centered. Help us to loosen our grip on the temporary things of this world and help us, God, to cling to Christ who is permanent. Father, for those who are here who are hurting, for whatever the reason, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts this morning and assure them that you are in control and that you are good. And Father, I pray that you would bring them to the point where they can trust you and continue to faithfully follow you no matter what. God, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know how to experience joy no matter what because they don't know you, I pray you do a great work in their heart and life. Show them their need of you, and I pray that today would be the day they trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.